0: to um, uh, our message this morning, we're wrapping up a series called Truth. Uh, We've been talking about discernment, discernment in these last days, the ability to distinguish and determine. uh, And even the word is discriminate is used in the uh, translation of discerning, learning to discern, to distinguish between two things. And we've been looking at Hebrews chapter five, Hebrews chapter five, Beginning with uh, verse, uh, well, let's just look at verse 14. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. Uh, We've been looking at this for a while. And uh, it says, but solid food, everyone say solid solid food. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use, everyone say use. The reason of use have their senses exercised. Everyone say exercise. exercise. Exercise to what? To discern both good and evil. Both good and evil. And so we've been tackling this subject. We've been identifying the need to train ourselves to discern the difference between good and evil. Two things that seem so obvious. So blatantly different, right? Good and evil. Evil and good. We even saw over in Isaiah chapter 5, I believe it was verse 12, that says, Woe to those that would call evil good and good evil. Those that would uh, swap out bitter for sweet. Those that would uh, have a problem determining the difference between light and darkness, right? Three things that we think would be Easy to distinguish, easy to identify evil from good and light from darkness and bitter from sweet. But yet we're learning that in these last days, it's not so easy. It, it, it's not as easy it, because see our problem is, is we don't have to determine good from evil. We have to determine good from what seems good. <laughs> this is where it gets difficult. Right. This is where the fruit on this tree looks just like the fruit on all the other trees. But yet God, for some reason, cut us off from this tree. But on the outside, it looks the same. Right? Because Eve didn't say the fruit looked disgusting and unpleasant and sickening. She said, oh, this, this fruit looks uh, uh, desirable. It looks good for food. And even pleasant to the eyes. Could it be that the things that we are partaking of, the evil that we're dabbling in in these last days, looks good, sounds pleasant, and even seems desirable? She was attracted to the good qualities of the fruit. She was attracted to the desirable stuff. She was attracted to the pleasant stuff. Right? We all know that we could, we could, we could. Limit ourselves from the temptation of blatant evil. But in these last days, the enemy is not using blatant evil to get people in disarray. He is using evil that seems good, that would blend in right with the rest of the good that we see in our lives. And so, this verse here in Hebrews chapter 5 tells us a little secret Uh, there's some exercising. Uh, Reason of use, I would call that practice, practicing, training, we even saw. We've got to train ourselves to determine good from evil. I've got to exercise and I've got to practice. Okay, that's good. That's evil. That's evil. That's good. We've got to train ourselves in this. And here's the thing about training, Uh, training that is abandoned limits you. What do I mean by that? If I train for a year, I told y'all all that I went running last weekend. But it's been a long time since I've been running. I had built up a good regimen of running and, and getting out on a weekly basis several days a week. I love my neighborhood because our neighborhood has just got hills all over the place. And so it just adds that extra little bit of uh, 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 heartache, <laughs> if you will. As has a little more attention to it. But I like it because, it, it, you know, just running on a flat surface. There was uh, one day I was actually in St. Augustine down there uh, for one weekend, and we were at the beach. And I don't know why. I just I was walking on the beach, and I just said, I'm going to run. And so I went running. And I ran for a lot longer, a lot faster, and a lot farther than I could in my neighborhood. And I was blown away. Why? Because my neighborhood is like this. So I get these little woo. uh. But on the beach, I was just, boom, just flat. I was amazed. I had my little watch on, you know, tracking how far I went and how fast I was going, my little mile in a minute deal. And I was like, my goodness, this is way different. But when I let that regimen go, I didn't pick up where I left off. Maybe we have gotten... We had gotten proficient at one time at discerning good from evil, but then we we let that go. And he's letting us know here it's 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 a use, it's a practice, it's an exercise, it's a training. It's it, it, it's it's uh, perpetual, ongoing. He says, ongoing. But infants in Christ will not be able to discern. Right, my son, when he was. You know, a year old. He did not discern that metal knives do not go in outlets, power outlets. He's no, there's no discerning taking place. He's not of full age. He has not matured. He's not gained that knowledge. And see, there were things that we dabbled in before that That now as we grow up, we recognize, whoa, that wasn't, that wasn't good for me. That kind of music wasn't good for me to be listening to. Ooh, that, that friendship, that's not going to be a good friendship for me. That's not going to be a good relationship. It's not uplifting. It's not encouraging. We start recognizing that things that I was pursuing and things that I was going out after, and even in infancy, I was saved, I was a believer, I was in the kingdom of God, but now as I'm growing up, as I'm maturing, Paul says, as I become a full age, now my discerning is growing. My ability to discern is being enhanced now, and I'm recognizing what I used to dabble in, I don't need to be in anymore. Right. Uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews also says that there are sins and weights. Everybody has sins, but not everybody has the same weights. So I can't condition and determine my weights by somebody else. What's a weight for you might not be a weight for me. And what's a weight for me might not be a weight for you. That comes with maturity. That comes with growing up in Christ. And so we're, we're learning Uh, This principle of discerning truth, recognizing truth. And so the first week, we identified uh, that truth is not something. Truth is someone. The reason why a lot of us are missing truth is because we just want information. And God never intended for man, God never designed man to operate simply on information. He designed man to uh, rely upon revelation. But revelation requires something. See, information does not require relationship. I can learn about you without ever knowing you. But God doesn't want us to know about him. He wants us to know him and the power of his resurrection. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He is the truth. Why why do you think you're going to have access to truth without ever getting access to Jesus? It's not going to happen. And so the first week we identified that if you want to know truth, you got to know him, know him, know him. Your ability to, to discern grows as you get to know him. The relationship is vital. You cannot there's no back way. We even saw this in our equip series opening up. The, the, the year. That the devil did not care. That Adam and Eve would learn or gain more knowledge. Right? We saw this. Just refreshing your memory. We've already seen. The devil did not care. It was That tree was the knowledge of good and evil. Why would the devil tempt them with more knowledge? Because he didn't care about the knowledge. It was the route that you acquire the knowledge. See, God said, God wasn't saying, I don't want you to know something. He said, I want you to know me and then you'll know something. The tree, the tree was a route of acquiring knowledge without needing God. And God never designed us to gain more knowledge outside of knowing him. And so that's the first principle. Last week we saw that it is vital for us, vital. That if we want to discern more truth, we have to obey the truth we already know. So we want to grow and we want to go deeper, but yet we want to abandon the things that we've already grown in. We want to abandon what we call the foundational, the fundamental. He was telling them right here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, he says that there are so many more things I want to share with you, but it's hard to explain. And we talked about that hard to explain last week, the mystery of the kingdom. It's mysterious, not because he's trying to hide it from you. He wants to determine your value. Your search determines the value. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want to know? These things are hard to explain. But you, there's a problem not on my end. I've got it. I can share it with you. The Bible even tells tells us in these last days that we will have many people. Many teachers bible says that uh, uh we will have itching ears going out and going after if you want a teacher, you can find them there's no there's no shortage of teachers, but he says the problem is you've grown dull of hearing that a not a hearing problem he says by this time, you ought to be teaching someone else yet." You need to be taught again the fundamentals, the foundational. Uh, he calls them the elementary principles. We, we, we don't like that. We don't like that. Because elementary, that's, that's basic. That's just starting out. That's 2 plus 2. Right? But if I don't get 2 plus 2, I can't get 2 times 2. I can't get X plus Y equals C squared. My mathematician over here teaching stuff that I probably need to be taught again. <laughs> need to lay again the foundational principles of algebra. Bad enough with numbers, and you bring in letters and just diagrams and graphing and goodness. Up, that $80 calculator didn't work for me because you got to have some fundamental principles. To know how to operate it. So we've got to obey what we know. Obey what you know. Because here's the problem. We all know that the word of God has the ability to transform our lives. Yes? Yes, we sure do. We know that the word has the ability to come in and change my marriage. And change my finances. And ch- but it has to be applied. But here's what happens when the word. Is not obeyed. It loses its power. To transform our lives. And we. Conform it. To our lives. What did God really say? I mean isn't that what. Isn't that what the devil said? What's he doing? He's not saying Adam and Eve. Are are you being transformed by the word? No he's saying. How can I conform this word them. I'll question it. I'll bring doubt to it. And this is what we do. When we don't obey the word immediately, then we begin to change its interpretation. When I don't apply the word immediately, when I don't obey what it says for me to do immediately for what I know, I may not know all of it. But no, I want to do what I know. I want to obey as far as I know. I'm going to err on the side of doing just based upon the, 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 the basis of it. And then God will bring more revelation to it. Amen. But when I don't obey what I know, then I'll begin to question what I know. And then I'll misinterpret what I know. And then I will uh, conform the word to my life to justify my life now. And everything's up for justification today. We see it in our culture. We, we, have, we have believers that have accepted worldly mentalities and worldly thought processes and worldly behavior because we don't do what we know. And then we'll take that same word and conform it to our lives. And this is the danger. And it, it, it greatly hinders our ability to discern, to distinguish, to determine In these last days. So we're going to wrap up today. The third principle. That I have for you. In developing discernment. The third principle I have for you today. Is to know. The Holy Spirit. To know. And rely upon. The Holy Spirit. Uh, In John. Chapter 14. Beginning with John chapter 14, uh, Jesus begins a discourse with his disciples. Uh, and in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he's having a conversation with those closest to him. We've only got the 12 here. Okay? There's other times where the Bible says disciples, and there could be 70 at that time. There could be multitudes at that time. But at this moment, we know there's only 12. They're in the upper room. They are having the last supper, the last meal before Jesus is about to go to the cross. And he knows. He knows this time is short. He knows that he's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows. And you know, as well as I do, that when you are at the end of something, and these are going to be some of your last words that you're sharing with individuals, that's important stuff, right? That's like the most Important details. This is the stuff I need you to know before I leave. This is the stuff I need you to know before I go. These are the details that you have got to take care of. And he talks about two things in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And because of the value and because of of the, the time and the moment Jesus is in, we know that we can place a very high value on these two things. The first thing that he talks to them about is love. Is love. This is what love looks like. If you are my disciples, then you will love. You will obey my commandment. And I, this is my new commandment. I give unto you that you love one another. He's talking about love. It, it must be a very important uh, situation that he knows we need in these last days, that we need to understand how the God kind of love works. Not the man kind of love. Not the world kind of love. Because God is love. You cannot define love without God. You you can't separate the two. If you don't know God, then you don't know love. Period. The world doesn't know love. They don't have access to it. They think they do. But they don't. And we are not allowed to redefine what God has already defined. We don't have that authority. I don't have that authority. So we've got to discover what love is. It must be very important for us that we know how to operate in the love of God. But the second thing that Jesus does with his disciples before he's getting ready to leave is he introduces them to somebody. Right. Because, you know, when there's a transition taking place, when I'm stepping out, I need to introduce you to the one that's going to be taking my place. And he introduces them to the Holy Spirit. And our surprise. He doesn't introduce him as a weird person, a weird individual. He doesn't introduce him as a power or a presence. He doesn't say, uh, and when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll, you'll feel him all around you. doesn't say that. He doesn't even talk about power in this instance. We know that power shows up later. But in this instance, he's saying, i got to get you acquainted. i got to get you to know somebody. And in John chapter 14 and verse 15, John chapter 14, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So that's piggybacking off what we saw last week. Obey. Obey what you know. Verse 16, and I will pray the Father. How many of you think that God answers Jesus' prayers? Sure does. And he'll answer yours too. But he says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, that word another does not mean different. That word another translated actually means the same as. So this isn't like the B team, right? This isn't the second string, all right. Uh, You know, our, our first string quarterback is, Uh, Hurt, so we need to bring in the the second guy. He's only you know, thrown a few reps, but hopefully he'll do all right. No, this is the same ass. We got two superstars on the same team. Imagine that. We can bench one, and the other one that comes in is just as good. That's the kind of team I want to be on. My gosh. Another what? Helper. So that word tells me this. I need help. Jesus wouldn't give you something you don't need. Ever felt like I can't do it all by myself? Good. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to. That's it right there. Another helper. In the Amplified, that, that that word really opens up. He says, stand by. He says, advocate. He says, counselor, mediator. I mean, we're talking somebody that is on our side, man. The Holy Spirit is on your side. Now, he might say some stuff that you don't like, but he's still on your side. He might reveal some stuff that says, whoa, what you doing? You don't talk like that. But he's on your side. He's helping you grow. You may identify boundaries and limitations, but the blessing is in the boundary. Another helper. He will give you another helper helper that he may abide with you forever. Now, what do I need help with? Well, everything. I know. I need help with all of it. I need help with my kids. I need help with my my spouse. I need help with my job. We need help. Just look at your neighbor and say, I need help. It's all right. And he will, what's that word? Abide. Abide. That means dwell. That means live with. Live with. Now, if I ask you where you abide, you'll most likely give me your address. Easy, right? Foundational, fundamental, two plus two. But yet, so many times we replace abide with frequent or visit like you might be going somewhere else than your address after service today you might be popping down the cheddars you might be going over to somebody's house you might be catching a movie i don't know i don't know you might be headed home to watch the gator game right i got two people in here that care about the Gator. it's all right and i would only have one if it weren't for my in-laws being in town they both got orange on today. They're doing good. Whatever you're doing, you are, if it's not your place where you abide, then you are visiting. You, you would never say, well, this is where I abide. This is where I. There's a difference, right? There's a difference between abiding and visiting. Abide, dwell with, live with you Forever. So there's a closeness here. There's a relationship. Now, what do I need help with? The spirit of what? So apparently I need help with truth. That's what he's helping me with. I mean, he's helping me with my marriage, but he's helping me with the truth of God's word as to how to handle my marriage. He's helping me with truth, with God's word. With how to handle my kids, he, he's helping me with truth of God's word. That see, we don't need help with just the issue here. We need help with the truth that'll help us fix the issue. Because when you know truth, then the truth will set you free. But you got to know truth. And so now he's he's promising to give us another helper so he's, he's not just a replacement for jesus he's actually uh, uh 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 capable and adequate to fulfill the same role in the same office that jesus did in fact jesus said this he says it's to your advantage that i go to heaven because if i don't go to heaven then i can't send my spirit so there's actually an advantage here that jesus isn't in the earth today It's actually better for us that Jesus isn't going to walk in these doors and take this microphone from me and I'm going to go sit down and let him preach. It's to your advantage because now the spirit of God can reside, dwell with, abide in each one of us. So where we had one Jesus, the physical Jesus, flesh, word of God, son of God walking with us. Now we've got a bunch of Jesus all over the world proclaiming and advancing the kingdom of God. Why? Because his spirit lives inside. He resides with me. He abides in me. He dwells in me. That's better. Just look at your neighbor and say, that's better. That's better. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. See, I, I, I you know, a lot of people think of Jesus as this all-inclusive Jesus. Oh, come on. We're all accepted, right? We love everybody, and we do, but not everybody has the same access. There is an us, and there is a them. Jesus did this with his disciples in Matthew chapter 13. He said, to you it's been given the ability to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not. So I talked to them in parables to determine, do they have ears to hear, and do they have eyes to see? If I just throw everything out on the surface, then we'll think we've got something when we did it. We'll be hearers but not doers. But when we will do something to get the word. Then you'll do something because you got the word. There's a value there. And so. He's identifying. There's an us. And there's a them. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him. Nor. Knows. Him. The spirit of. Truth. Why do we get so upset when the world does things that are evil? When they make movies and they put certain things in movies that we know are absolutely contrary to the kingdom of God. And we throw this big fit like they ought to know better. You should know better. But according to this verse, the world does not have access to truth. So therefore there is no discernment. Because if you don't have access to truth, then you don't have access to discernment. That's why this series is called Truth, Not Discernment. Because if you don't know truth, then you cannot discern. you got to be able to discern between good and evil. And so, says, the world does not see him nor know him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is taking us right back to our first point. That truth is not something. Truth is some one. And now I have access to the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. So if I want to develop in my ability to discern i got to get to know somebody. i got to get to know the very spirit that God sent, that Jesus prayed the Father would send to me. He goes on in verse 18, I will not leave you, orphans, I will come to you. He's letting us know. He's letting us know. There's got to be relationship here. It, it's no wonder in these last days, That the church struggles with truth and struggles with discernment because we have left out the very one that's supposed to help us with that truth and discernment. He sits on the sidelines. And we praise God and we praise Jesus, but both of them are in heaven. They're in heaven, sitting down. I said this a few weeks ago. There is nothing else that God will do. And there is nothing else that God can do about your situation. It's done. Jesus on that cross said, it is finished. Now, you know, I kind of wish that he would have like defined it. You know, like this is finished. But that's me. You know, I got to have the make it more clear, please. You know. I was telling my wife with the phenomenal talent show that we had last night. Well, that was amazing. I'm so proud of our children. Yeah, give them a hand. Give them a hand. They did such a, a fabulous job. Everybody that, I mean, it just made me so proud as a pastor uh, uh, to, to just see that night and how it went off. But it went off way differently than it would have if I was involved in it. Because yesterday at 430, we're bringing stuff in. I'm thinking, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we could have been doing this all week long because that's how I am. I'm like, okay, give me the checklist and give me the, to, the to-do list and, 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 and assign people all their stuff. But then Lisa and, and Ashley just run with it, and, and I didn't ask questions. I didn't even get involved in that, and it went off fabulously, which tells me that my theories are flawed and I must <laughs> need to change my thinking. There's a need for administration, but it was awesome to see how it went off, without all the defining, without all the and, and, and so Jesus says, "It is finished. I'm telling you right now, God doesn't have an enemy because the enemy's defeated. You don't have an enemy when he's already won the battle. The victory is ours. There's no, he's not fighting anymore. The, the Bible tells us that he's seated. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and his feet are propped up on a footstool, watching the whole thing go on. There's no battle. What's the battle that we fight? It's ourselves. You are your own worst enemy. We are our own worst enemies, and that's a constant. Battle day in and day out it's a constant battle it's a struggle down here, but in heaven there's no struggle so God and jesus they're in heaven, and the Holy Spirit is the one that's down here on the earth, living and residing and dwelling within us but yet he gets he, he gets the least stage time and so it's no wonder that we we struggle with discernment It's no wonder that that even the church is having a hard time identifying and proclaiming and standing up for truth. We've got to know. Uh, just a few weeks ago, it, it's amazing, the casualty of truth. A few weeks ago, we had our guest minister in, Reverend Tony McKinnon, and, and on the Saturday morning prior, he spoke to, uh, we had several pastors from all over the state of Georgia come down and be with us, and um, uh, and he spoke to those pastors, spoke to our leadership, and and he spoke about the five generations that are in the earth today, going all the way back to the early 1900s and then down. And it was just amazing as he was giving off characteristics about all the different. I can't like that. And then from 1920 to you had like 19. 100 to 1920 or something like that. And then from 1920 to, and and, and so you had all these different generations. And he would list things like, uh, in the first generation, uh, divorce was unheard of. Divorce uh, wasn't accepted, you know, as a regular thing. But then, I mean, we're talking 30 years later, it begins to be accepted. It's amazing to see the acceptance that takes place. That's a big word in church today is acceptance. Acceptance. and and what the enemy wants to do is he wants to blur the line between truth and the lie, between light and darkness. Oh, they they have bibles. They they know the word and they will even use it. In this last presidential campaigning, I heard some individuals use bible verses that I'm like What are you doing with that? I remember I saw one individual use a Bible verse. I believe it was out of Galatians 6. Do not grow weary in well-doing. This particular individual had just lost. and, And they were, they shot this verse out in their little closing speech thing. Do it. We will not grow weary in, in well doing. And I looked at my wife. and I said, "Well, even the even the devil knows the Bible. Absolutely. He sure does." I saw a quote this past week. He said, the, "the The devil does not care how much of the word you know if you never speak it. It's the activation. Fo- faith, faith is voice activated." You've got to speak it. You've got you to gotta put the word in your mouth, and then the, the, the word in your mouth produces the power. I'm thankful for what the Gideons are doing, but that's the first step, is getting the word in people's hearts so we can get from their heart into their mouths, and then out of their mouths we can change the world around us. That's the power. That's the power of the word. But truth is being blurred. Truth is on trial. Truth is is, up to opinion. It's up to debate. And it was never meant to be that way. And the very ones, I don't think we have the verse in there, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is urging Timothy. He says, you are the, the church is the pillar of truth. 3.15 I believe it is, 2 Timothy. The church is the pillar of truth. That means we are to stand up for truth. A pillar of truth. A pillar is not waiting. If you've got a pillar, if these columns out here are movable and flexible, this building coming down. This roof is going to be on our heads in a few seconds. No, a pillar is structured. It's founded and grounded and fixed and immovable. See, the devil can't attack the the truth. But he can attack our perception of the truth. Because I I may not be able to see very well right now. But when I put the lens on. Now I can see clearly what was always there. It was always. Those words were always on the back. But right now it looks like. But when I put the lens on. Oh ignite. Impact. Influence. It was always there. And the devil wants to. Fade and blur our perception of the word. And so, getting back, we've got the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. In John chapter 15, he continues to go. I told you it was 14, 15, and 16. John chapter 15. See, the world doesn't have a relationship with truth. They can't know it. Don't be surprised when they don't. But John chapter 15 and verse 26, But when the Helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, here we go, who proceeds from the Father. In our opening initial week of this series, I said this. The problem today is that truth will no longer be desired. Therefore, therefore, the relevance of, And the the confidence you have in the source will be irrelevant. When you don't care if this is true or not, then you won't care about the source from which it comes from. But today, we have the spirit of truth. And Jesus isn't saying, it's just some weird spirit. I don't know where he came. No, he proceeds from the Father. If you're hearing it from the Holy Spirit, you might as well be hearing it from God. Camden lately has been asking uh, about the Trinity. Well, how are they three, but yet they're one? How are they three different people, three different operations, three different, uh, but 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 yet they're still one? And trying to explain that to a six-year-old is very difficult. How can three different things be one thing? But yet they are. Jesus was God on this earth. He was God. He was a hundred percent God, and he was a hundred percent man. The Holy Spirit is God. Guys, when we abandon the Holy Spirit, we abandon God himself. The Holy Spirit is just as important. Same level. Deserves the same value and the same standard that you would give God himself. He is God. And so this says that the, the source is God. Well, how many of you know, and we all say it, we don't really consider this anymore, but we all say it, the information is only as good as the source. It's only as good as the source. The Holy Spirit, he proceeds from the Father, and he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness. Why? Because when you're connected to the Holy Spirit, then you will say what the Holy Spirit is saying. This is what we need in the last days is believers that will learn to discern by the Holy Spirit. You you could go through the Bible and you can see the multiple times that people struggled with discernment and how it cost them discerning their relationships. I mean, you can go over to Nehemiah and you can learn about how Nehemiah had to have the ability to discern because people showed up while he's building this wall Then they called themselves prophets. See, this is why discernment is so important. Why? Because there will be false prophets. How can I recognize false prophets? When you have the spirit of truth, you'll be able to recognize. When you know what's legit, you'll be able to, to determine the counterfeit. When I um was... In St. Augustine, before I went on staff with the church down there, I worked at a bank. I worked at a bank. And during the training, they taught us how to recognize counterfeit money. And they first gave us actual money. And then they slid down, and we didn't know which was which. They just gave it to us. But then it was easy to determine which one was counterfeit versus I mean, you know, it can get pretty difficult. Obviously, it gets slipped through every single day. But when you know the real thing. See, we don't know the, we don't know the real thing. So we have trouble identifying the counterfeit. We, we have trouble identifying the false prophet because we don't know the real prophet. False teaching versus real teaching. And he's telling us, you got to train. you got to exercise. The Holy Spirit is your trainer. See, the Holy Spirit will, will push you. See, you can get in there and you can train all by yourself, but I'm going to tell you right now from personal experience, I have always seen much better progress, much better benefits, and much better gains when I had a trainer. I had a trainer that could help me in my exercise. And in my training. And the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you. And he wants to help train you for truth. We have to be trained for truth. And the spirit of truth. I don't know about you, but I don't want a spirit of lies training me to determine truth. I want the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. We go over to John chapter 16. And we're still talking. About the Holy Spirit. In verse 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. I mean, it's just funny that Jesus even had to preface his statements with that, right? Verily, verily, I say unto you. Okay, I, I, I get it. You are truth. So I'm assuming everything that you say will be truth. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And then he goes on and he lists some things that he will do there. But in John chapter 16, verse 12, jumping down, he says, I still have many things to say to you. Doesn't that sound familiar? I got so many things to say. They're hard to explain. Jesus here, he says, "Uh, but you cannot bear them now. I wonder what we haven't recognized yet because we haven't connected with the spirit of truth. Because he says, and this is Jesus physically on the earth. Like, if you couldn't bear it with Jesus, how else? But he's saying there's a spirit of truth coming that will reside and abide and dwell in you and with you forever. And then I can share this stuff with you. i got to know the Holy Spirit. But you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. I have to be led into truth. Right? You need a guide to take you places you haven't gone yet. And you don't want a guide that hasn't been there before. This is my first time. We're going to learn this journey together, guys. No, we're going to get lost together is what's going to happen. No, I need a guide that's been there, that knows it, and can help me maneuver. See there the, the the debate for truth is on right now. But I have a guide that can help me. Uh uh-uh, uh nope, that, that's not truth. That's not it. Nope. This person wants a relationship with me, but they've got ulterior motives. They, they want something else, and I'm discerning that by the Spirit. On the outside, it looks good. All my business partners are saying, no, we need to do this. We need to join with these guys. These guys have the money. If we join with them, look at all this stuff that's going to come. And you're just like, mm, no, that, I, mm, there's just something on the inside, man. I just, but I know the Spirit of truth. And You don't know Him because you're in the world, and you don't know Him, but I know Him. Okay. Listen to me. Didn't Paul do that on the boat in Acts chapter uh, 27? Nobody would listen to him. He was the only one. I mean, we've got a commander of the boat, an owner of the boat. We've got a Roman soldier. We've got all these qualified people. But yet Paul says, we don't need to leave port. There is a storm coming, and there will be great loss. But nobody would listen. Why? Because they don't have the same access. You do. You have the spirit of Of truth. See, the spirit of truth will help you in your business. The spirit of truth will help you in your relationships. I'm telling you right now, uh, you know, as a pastor, there are times I have to cut people off. If that's okay for me to go here for a minute. You have to cut some people off. And, and, and of course, it seems like the ungodly thing to do and the unchristian thing to do. But the father did not go and chase down the prodigal son. He said, you want to go? Go. That was his son. I cannot honestly tell Go do it. Same scenario with my son that I would easily say, all right, man, go do it. Knowing what he's going to get himself into. Knowing the loss he's going to incur. Knowing the separation that's going to take place. And just trusting that one day he's going to come to his senses and recognize, I had it better at daddy's house and I need to go back. I can't tell you naturally, honestly, that I could do that. But yet the example that Jesus gives us is the father. God cut his son off in the garden after messing up one time. There was no counting to to one, two, three. There was no go to the corner and think about it. There was no go to your room. He messed up one time. He said, get out. Oh, you, you just, you just got to keep reaching out to him. You just got to keep pouring, pouring out love. You know, got to keep encouraging him. You know, one day they're going to. No, it might be the fact that we keep leeching on that is keeping them in the place that they're at. Maybe they need to get to a place where it's just them and God, and now they can hear God's voice and recognize, I had it so much better, I've got to get back there. And that might be six months, that might be one year, that might be five years, that might be 25 years, and I may never see the fruit of that decision, but somebody else will reap the fruit. Discernment. But then there's times you gotta reach out, and everybody else is saying no. Cut them off, let them go, man. You don't need to be doing this anymore. You're wearing yourself out. You say no. Nope, give them another chance. Because isn't that what the the, the gardener said uh, when the owner came out to the to the land and said, "We need to cut this thing down, chop it up. It hasn't borne fruit for us for three years." He says, "Give me one more year. Give me one more season." When to be patient. When to be long suffering, and when to say no. Nope, that's it. That's discernment. That's discernment. That's knowing the spirit of truth. That's having somebody on the inside that's helping you make that decision. That's discernment. And so he goes on. I still have many things to say, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own Authority. See, we can't, we, we, we can't say that today about our media and our journalism and all, and all the news that we have and all the different outlets. Because people speak on their own initiative all the time. We call it two cents. Well, let me give you my two cents. Now just give it to me, what you, what you saw. Just give me that. Just give me the facts. Just give me the, the information. I don't need your two cents. See, the Holy Spirit will not throw in his two cents. The Holy Spirit will not say something contradictory to what the word already says. They will not battle each other. They will not contradict. Do we understand that? The Holy Spirit will confirm, not contradict. There's a difference. The Holy Spirit will show up and he'll say, now you remember what my father said in the word. You remember what the father said. And you remember what the son said. Because one of the descriptions is that he'll remind you of all the things that I've said to you. That's what what Jesus said the Holy Spirit will do. He will not speak on his own authority. He will not throw his two cents in. He'll not come up with ideas that contradict what the word says. He will confirm what the word says. So what does that do? That helps me. That gives me the ability to discern. I mean, I've been in the services where uh, you know prophecies or tongues and interpretations have taken place in services, and someone's given a word, and you just know, no, no, you missed it. That that, that wasn't. That's not the word, because it doesn't line up with the word. See, I have a basis. Paul even tells us in First Corinthians fourteen to prove out, to test prophecies. Be a discerner. Be a discerner. Now, here's the thing, guys. There is a difference between questioning to know and questioning cynically. We don't show up. And question everything that anybody says, or question anything that, uh, 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 you know, just because, well, you know, you, you're just going to have to prove that to me. That is an attitude that says, uh, 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 I know better than you, or I can prove you wrong, or, 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 or does not bring clarity, doesn't bring confirmation in anything. And the, the heart is not wanting to know. See, Pharisees questioned They had all kinds of questions. And on the outside, the Pharisees would have looked like a group of people that wanted to grow and wanted to learn and wanted to, to grow deeper with God and, and, okay, great teacher, great master. But on the inside, they were cynical. On the inside, they doubted. On the inside, they did not believe. On the inside, they were trying to bring confusion, not clarity. Paul said to the Bereans in Acts chapter uh, uh, well, let's just go with Acts. He said in Acts, I can't recall the chapter at this time, but he, he said the Bereans, they, they went back and they studied for themselves. They weren't sitting in service said, you know, show me that one. No, they were sitting there hungry saying, oh man, that's good. I got to go see that for myself. And they didn't even have access to the Bible we had access to. And we give excuses why we can't go study it for ourselves. They went and studied it with a lot less than what we have. They didn't have Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians. They didn't have First and Second Thessalonians. They didn't have Hebrews. They didn't have the book of Acts. It was being written as they were living it out. They went back to what they had and, and said, All right, Paul. And you realize that a lot of these guys just had to take uh, Peter's and John's and, 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 and all the disciples' testimony, witness of being with Jesus. Because Matthew couldn't say, all right, now turn over to Matthew chapter 13. I'll show you where he was telling us about the parable of the sower. Couldn't do that. No, but he said, man, there was this one time we were Jesus, and he told this parable. It's the parable of the sower. Let me tell you what he told us. And they had to take their witness. Could someone take your witness of Jesus? Because you got to be with them. Do you have a close enough relationship where you can say, you can trust me on this one because I know him. I know him. And see the Holy Spirit does. We can trust everything the Holy Spirit says, because the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority. It says there, in you know, verse 13, "He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me." For he will take of what is mine. Do you see the the transfer that's happening here? It's coming out of one hand hand into the other. It's coming from one source right to the next. And there's no altering. You know, I was listening to to someone one time. They were talking about journalism and how it all works. And and they said that, you know, the journalists, uh, they go out. Uh, uh, and, and actually, you know, get the story, and they write out the story. But it's the editor's job to put the headline on it. They don't even get to come up with the headline. So that's where you get all these crazy headlines that don't, that don't even make any sense to lure you in. That that are that are almost contrary to the story. But no, the Holy Spirit. There's no altering taking place. He's taking of what is mine, Jesus said, and he will declare it to you. He will make it known to you. He does not want you in the dark. He does not want you uh, uh, in, in the mystery. He wants you to know. And God wants you to know so bad that he's placed his own spirit in you, the spirit of truth. Spirit of truth. That the world cannot recognize. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Closing with this. Guys if y'all come up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Very simple. In the New King James it says. Do not quench. The spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. The Amplified says it this way. It says, Do not quench, subdue, or be unresponsive to the working and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Do not quench. You've got suppress or subdue. Okay, you're looking at screens. I'll tell you what mine says subdue, or be unresponsive. Wow. Wow. I I, I never saw it that way. When the Holy Spirit speaks, it will require a response. Now, it says do not quench. uh, Some other translations even say extinguish. See, if you extinguish the work of the Holy Spirit, then you will not be able to distinguish truth. This is all connected. It's all connected. If I'm unresponsive, like we talked about last week, if I don't obey what I know, then I will extinguish. Now, I, you, you can't put something out that isn't already lit. You 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 can't put out a fire that hasn't already been started. You if I had a lighter right here, you can't you can't extinguish the light until I light it. So the Holy Spirit moves first, requires a response on our part, and if we do not respond appropriately and accordingly, we will extinguish the Holy Spirit and limit our ability to distinguish truth. holy spirit wants a response he wants a reaction and i'll tell you this if we do not respond to the holy spirit he'll get quieter next time he is a gentleman he will not shout over all your stuff he will not slap you in the face to get your attention he's going to patiently stand by and say right here when you're ready don't do that don't go there don't listen to them don't get in that relationship don't buy that don't reach out to that person or reach out to that person he's just going to stand there but he will not shout over all your busyness he will not shout over all your chaos he will not shout over all the loud stuff you're going to have to shut some things down So I can hear Him. So I can respond to Him. And so I can learn to discern truth. You've heard me say it before. People love to put all their news and all their stuff out on Facebook and and ask for answers on Facebook. I'm about to... I'm thinking of taking this job. What do y'all think? Oh, they'll tell you what you think. But they will speak on their own initiative. You'll find people that are emotional... That'll say, no, we don't want you to do that. And then you'll find uh, other people that uh, uh, have been hurt by things in the past. And they'll say, man, man, you need to do it. You need to get out of there. You need to leave. They're not going to speak on his initiative. They're going to speak on their own initiative. The Holy Spirit is the only one you can confidently say. And that's what I tell people as pastors. If you're asking me, there's already somebody in you that can tell you. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit will use another individual to say, no, you don't need to do that. And you better listen. But you got to have a relationship for yourself. You can't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit through me. Pastor Earl used to use the term, I use it every now and then. We're not pocket pastors. We just pull you out. Pull me out every time you need me. Call me up. every. I got this decision to make. I'll agree with you. I will touch and agree with you. I'll stand with you for clarity. If the Lord speaks something to me, then I'll say it. If he doesn't, I won't tell you one way or the other. I won't tell you what I personally think. I won't tell you what I want to say. I won't tell you anything unless the Holy Spirit tells me to. Because I am not here in this office acting on my own accord. I am representing somebody else. And I'll be held accountable for that. You didn't tell them that they were supposed to do this, and you should have. I'll stand. I'll stand accountable. I'll do what the Holy Spirit tells me. But you can't live vicariously through my relationship. With, well, you know, I got a pastor, and whenever I have a need, I'll just go to my pastor. He'll pray with me, and he'll agree with me, and he'll probably give me some words of wisdom. No, 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 no. You need to develop your ability to hear the Holy Spirit. It's a greater testimony to me when one of our church members come to me and said, man, I had this issue and the Holy Spirit spoke up and he said, don't do this. And I followed him and look at what he's done. Amen. You didn't give me a phone call. You didn't have to text me. You didn't have to do nothing. That's a greater testimony. Because that tells me that the Holy Spirit that Jesus prayed uh, from the Father would be sent to reside and abide and dwell in each one of us individually. You are utilizing him and responding him. And you're not extinguishing his alert. Father, we do not want to extinguish the work of the Spirit. We don't want to distinguish His voice or extinguish His voice, but we want to be able to distinguish the voices around us. But we want to be able to hear from Your Spirit. We want to be able to be sensitive to Your Spirit. We want to know the Spirit of truth. Not about Him. Not just what He knows. But we want to know Him. And when we know Him, then we'll know what He knows. Father, I thank You through these messages that our church is gaining a better understanding, better clarity, better direction, better discernment. Because we respond to the Holy Spirit. We obey the truth that we know. And we learn that truth is someone, not something. I thank you in these last days. This will be a church that discerns. This will be a church that distinguishes. This will be a church that knows the difference between light and darkness, truth and lies. We thank you for the clarity that's going to be revealed in our lives. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Hallelujah.